0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to this episode. I am so delighted to have Jason Hartman with us today. Uh, We had the wonderful opportunity of meeting on the Marketers Cruise, which by the way, I didn't ask you in the green room, are you going on the marketer's cruise again hopefully i'll see you there jason oh not planning
2: to i don't know when the next one is but uh i oh, wish I... they would just upgrade the cruise line i just got back from an alaska cruise and uh... oh
0: yeah well you know i talked to him about that and in, in uh just for those who are listening to this captain
2: he's... lou needs to do these on ritz carlton ships or something you oh know?
0: yeah i know yeah. i know but you know the reason he does them on carnival which i'm not a, really a fan of either but the reason that he does them on carnival is because they are so accommodating to such a yeah, large group I
2: you know. Yeah.
0: And so we just kind of have to sacrifice that, you know, to be able to go. But um, you know, but it's still fun. It's still fun. But and you interviewed me the last time we were sitting out on a deck, you know. I remember, the, yeah. yeah. It was really fun. Um, but I'm just delighted to have you here today. And uh, you know, we're gonna talk about a lot of different things. We're gonna talk about mortgages, where we think the market's going, we're gonna talk about uh, you know, real estate as well. Uh, you know, this has been something that I've really been harping on with a lot of people lately is just the importance of, uh, you know, if you're going to be in the mortgage business, you're going to be in the real estate business is you've got to invest in your product. (laughs) You really need to invest in your product. So tell us a little bit about you and your background so that they can get some information on you.
2: Yeah, sure. So I started in real estate my first year of college when I was actually 19 years old. And I got my license just because I wanted to learn how to be a better investor and learn the basics of the business uh, first. But I did really well with brokerage. Uh, I ended up buying my first rental property about six months into my career when I was 20. I bought it from a client of mine uh, who was buying properties from me and uh, uh, went from there. I did very well in the traditional uh, real estate world. I was number 59 in the world for Remax at age 24. Uh, and, uh, uh, then I bought a brokerage and that was the hardest thing I ever did, <laughs> but yeah. I did sell it to Coldwell Banker in 2005. And, um, and so that was a, a nice run. And, uh, I got into the business, uh, about a year before the Coldwell Banker deal, uh, completed, uh, basically of helping investors buy properties nationwide, because as they were acquiring my company in Southern California, I thought, you know, what am I going to do next? What's my next play? I'm going to have a local non-compete, obviously, after Coldwell Banker buys it. Uh, But, um, uh, you know, uh, and I really just got back to the investing only side. And so since 2004, um, my companies, and I've been various companies over the years, uh, have helped investors acquire properties nationwide. We help investors build nationwide portfolios of good, common sense, And I'll say somewhat boring, but they produce an excellent yield rental properties, long term buy and hold rental properties. I know, Jen, that's your philosophy, too. Uh, So we agree there. Uh, And um, and that's what we do. And then a few years ago, I acquired a real estate software company called Real Estate Tools that helps investors evaluate and manage their properties as well. And uh, so we have a we're just 100% centered around the investor and empowering them to uh, you know, do great things with their portfolio. To have control over their portfolio, um, this is not a fund. It's not a syndication. Right. They're direct ownership of properties, so they have direct control over them.
0: Yeah. So, um, and I think it's beautiful, and I and I love the simplicity of it. To be honest with you, I love the simplicity. When you say that you help investors, uh, what exactly do you do? I heard I heard the back end of this once they've acquired and all that, but do you help them on the front end? Do you help them with? Yeah you know, what kind of property should I be looking for? Am I, am I looking for a three, two and what price range? And do I want a little fix up a little bit or, yeah. you know, what do you help them with is specifically on the front side of this?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So we basically do three things, uh, three major things. We provide people with education and consulting or counseling. We have investment counselors that help them determine how to do their portfolio. One of the first things we do is what's called a portfolio makeover. And we uh, help assess all of the assets they have, you know, do they have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, cash oh, right. in the bank, uh, money in an IRA account, uh, a business, um, you know, do they have alternative investments like notes and trustees? or you know, w- what are they doing? Right, cryptocurrency, whatever. And we help them put that uh, those assets to their highest and best use, and um, and then we help them pick the markets and the properties. And then the sort of the second major component is we provide a referral network of property sellers that they Mm -hmm. can actually buy the properties through and then we provide ongoing support and software uh, and community, so they can manage that portfolio and grow it successfully.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, so, and, you know, so I think that's really good because, uh, you know, for the novice investor, it's a great way to start. And for someone who is doing a lot of properties, it's a community, it's a tribe for which they can go to. And I think that that's one of the highest barriers to entry is I don't know what I'm doing. Education and I, I don't have time to find the deals. I don't know how to find the deals. I always miss the deals. Right. Um, and then once it happens, they're like, I don't like being a landlord anymore.
1: Yep. <laughs> Right. Exactly.
0: And so having those beautiful tools. So I, I love that we can, re, you know, that you're reducing the barrier to entry for investors. And then when they have it, it's just a, it makes it smooth and, and you know, silky and profitable. Okay. So that's what you do on the investment side. So we know that. And so, you know, for those that are listening, I want to make sure you understand that, that this is a great avenue. You know, if you're thinking about investing, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast is to really be purchasing the product that you are serving people for and growing that wealth. Um, So that's, that's wonderful. I think that's great. And I know that you are looking for, you know, um, you know, lenders across the country who are specializing in investors. Please don't call Jason if you're not a specialist in this. He's not interested in working with people that don't know what they're doing. Um,
2: We are looking, by the way, I know a lot of your audience is, is this target. And I know you're going to refer us to some great people too, Jen. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Nationwide lenders, that yeah. specialize in working with investors yeah are that's that's our uh, market yeah
0: so if you're only licensed in one state don't do don't worry nope. about it but uh, okay. yeah so you know the good thing about working with me as a coach for you is that all of my clients will be able to be referred to you specifically yeah, absolutely so um so I know that you also had a mortgage company for a while so let's talk about your history with owning a mortgage company. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I had a, a few mortgage businesses over the years, actually, when I was in the traditional real estate business. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I sold the company to Coldwell Banker, I got out of mortgage, escrow, and all of that stuff, and brokerage uh, on the traditional side of brokerage. And um, uh, so, you know, my experience is all prior to the Great Recession in yeah. terms of the mortgage <laughs> business. Yeah. So I know that it has changed dramatically with Dodd Frank, and, uh, and you know, every, everything's very different nowadays. It's much, uh, much more red tape than when we were doing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question about it. You know, and and I think that that's, you know, super powerful when you're dealing with investors that to have that kind of experience. And I think that, uh, you know, this is why this was my niche when I was in lending, why as a lender, now I have my own lending company that only serves non-owner occupied, right? That only serves investors. Uh, because, you know, I have the knowledge in the mortgage and the real estate space. And I think that that's really good. I think I just, I just lean more to the mortgage piece and you lean more to the real estate piece. And I think that's wonderful. Um, okay. So I I know that, you know, one of the things that you do and you have a podcast too, you know, obviously I've got over
2: 6,000 episodes out there. So I've been podcasting for uh, 17 years now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, uh, you know, so I, I encourage people to listen to your podcast. So tell us what the name of the podcast is. So we have the exact name to go look for it.
2: Yeah. Podcast, uh, just look up Jason Hartman anywhere and you can see all of my podcasts, but the creating wealth show is my most popular show. And then of course I have a, a YouTube channel as well. And a lot of good content in both of those good, places.
0: Good. And we have all those links that we'll, we'll have for everybody. That sounds what Great. Okay. So let's switch into the market. Um, this is the hot topic right now, you know, yeah. is, What is happening with inflation, appreciation, bubbles? (laughs) crashes, (laughs) Yep. <laughs> crashes, <laughs> uh, interest rates. So let's, let's get your take on it. And, you know, and I want to caution everybody here too, is that, you know, we've had a lot of people on talking about the market and their perspective. And one of the things that I've said, and I do say all the time, especially with my coaching clients is you have to consume this information. You have to watch the right and the left and the center. You have to read, you have to listen to, and then you have to, absorb that information and develop your own opinion on this. So, so we're, um, it's sort of, that's the, uh, disclaimer right here for all of us is this is, uh, you know, Jason's opinion, my opinion, we want you to come up with your own opinion to serve your clients. So, so that said, um, we talked a little bit in the green room about the Hartman comparison index. Tell us a little bit about that and what that, how you're using that tool today.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Jen. So, um, I, uh, I, I was getting so bugged uh, over the years with all of these uh, talking heads and prognosticators in the media and so forth, talking about the housing market or the real estate market, whatever. And, um, you know, I just noticed so so much faulty thinking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the, the main index, which is maybe the most widely used one, the Case-Shiller index is just so mm-hmm. flawed in so many ways um that I'll I'll kind of go into but specifically the HCI or the Hartman comparison index um, does what the consumer price index does in a sense in 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 helping people understand the value of real estate you need to compare it not to just one thing you need to compare it to many things because uh when we compare we basically get data And uh, what what I mean uh, by getting data is that in the price of anything it contains a whole bunch of data because uh, billions literally billions of actors in the economy create the pricing for different things, different commodities, different products, different services, because it's a mostly free and mostly competitive marketplace. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a lot of data in the price of anything. Mm-hmm. So why would we say uh, housing or real estate is just compared to one thing, the US dollar when yeah. the US dollar itself is yeah. a moving target? Mm -hmm. I mean we all know that since the creation of the Federal Reserve just over 100 years ago the dollar has lost about 97% of its value so why would we think that comparing the price of a house in 1970 or 1980 or 1980 to the price of a house in 2020 or 2022 is a valid idea based in dollars. We right. should compare it to a whole host of things to determine the value so we'll go into that in a moment, but maybe i'll just start with a couple of things before we get there uh, to kind of tee up the conversation, Jen. Right. Um, so this uh meme I think just says it all okay and for those listening on audio only we're showing uh two doors with stocks and cryptocurrency and the Grim Reaper having visited them already
0: <laughs> right and there's blood all over the floor
2: <laughs> but but the Grim Reaper is knocking on the door of real estate yeah yeah
0: and <laughs> right? will how will that happen yeah so yeah a
2: lot of people like you said think there might be a crash coming and I'll just spoiler alert say that I think a lot of those people expecting some big crash are going to be sorely disappointed. I agree. And I I have lots of data to support that, Okay, Uh, You know, if you think some big housing bubble is coming, I I think you're just going to miss the opportunity. Um, Maybe we are at a little bit of a turning point. Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, good luck timing the market. And here's why. Here's one of the many reasons. Say, for example, you have $100,000 in the bank today and uh you're gonna keep your powder dry as they say right Jen mm-hmm. and you're gonna wait until the correction and then you're gonna go all in and invest and, and and you know the problem is none of us ever know when we've hit the bottom and none of until us ever really know when we're at the peak right right, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and okay. usually people at that time are too scared because they think it's going to get worse yeah but if we assume the real rate of inflation is 15% and I would argue that that's actually a little conservative. I mean, the official rate is 9.1%. Um, the real rate, I think, is about 17%. But let's call it 15. The consumer right. price. Index it, and is and let's explain why that
0: is. Let's make sure everybody understands that too. You know that the rate of so the that, government has. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah the government has it, a huge I'll motivation. Let you do it. <laughs> Oh, okay. sure. Go ahead. Yeah, the government has a huge motivation to uh, publish the official inflation numbers as lower than they really are. Because you know the, the government has about 20% of the economy in terms of what it has to pay to its own employees. The government is so huge. And government salaries are indexed to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, the most widely used measure of inflation. And then also government benefits are indexed to that as well. Uh, And so so not only does the government have to spend more if they tell us the inflation rate is higher, but they also uh, get people more upset. So they manipulate the consumer price index down in three major ways, weighting, substitution, and hedonic indexing. So weighting, there's a basket of goods in the index, And they just basically say look, you know if the price of one thing goes up we're not going to give it as much weight in the basket, as we give another thing that hasn't gone up so much. So that's waiting substitution price of steak goes up they assume everybody will switch to chicken, but maybe you don't like chicken because chickens a dirty bird. Right and you'd prefer steak, but they they do substitution hedonic indexing basically says look with technology products keep getting better and better and uh, we're going to impute that you paid less for the product because it got better so yeah. for example you know this phone in my hand it's an iphone it costs 1500 dollars. Mm-hmm. my first cell phone cost 3200 dollars. Right. it weighed 14 pounds and all <laughs> it did was make phone calls no texting right. no nothing no right doubt. yeah so this product is substantially better but jen the problem with hedonic indexing even though it does have its own logic is that it basically says we as people aren't entitled to progress The consumer price index gets the progress, not us.
0: Yeah. And the consumer price index is average. You know, it's a a year over year average. And so it always will, you know, currently considers low inflation in it. And so once it gets averaged out, that low inflation gets averaged out, we're going to see higher inflation numbers in the CPI.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So back to the powder dry discussion, because a lot of people think they're waiting for the correction and they're gonna keep their powder dry. If you have $100,000, for example, and you keep that in the bank, you're losing $15,000 a year right there. Just Just, because-
0: of The power of purchasing, the purchasing power, yeah.
2: The purchasing power of your savings goes down through inflation. But guess what? We've got a lot of mortgage people watching this right now. Guess what else goes down? The value of your stocks, bonds, or your savings is debased by inflation, but so is the value of your debt, Mm -hmm. which is a great thing. And that's why a good long-term 30-year fixed rate mortgage is a financial planning tool. It is an asset, an incredible asset. I created a strategy and I trademarked it many years ago called inflation induced debt destruction. And (laughs) we don't have time to go into it now. I know it's a mouthful, but the idea is that you are creating a huge amount of wealth for yourself as a real estate investor, because you are borrowing the money at today's dollars and paying it back at tomorrow's dollars. And that is a giant benefit, a giant wealth creator.
0: And that doesn't even consider appreciation. (laughs)
2: right right Right. because your your
0: your net worth is growing you know as long as you're I mean well yeah obviously it's only valuable on the day you sell it but you know your net worth is growing as well well it's also valuable on the day you refinance it yeah oh yeah
2: because I have another strategy I call refi till you die yeah okay yeah and the refi till you die strategy is the best way to extract the wealth from your portfolio because there's no tax on borrowed money Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, so, um, but look, you know, one of the things when we talk about this bubble, this crash, we've got to understand is that there is no such thing as a national housing market in the United States. Mm -hmm. In a country as large and diverse as the US, there is only a whole bunch of local markets. Yeah. In the country, there are nearly 400 MSAs or metropolitan areas. There are uh, 3100 counties, there are over 9000 cities, and if you count towns and villages, there are over 19,000 of those right it's a huge country there's no such thing as a national real estate market all real estate is local. And one way to think of this Jen is to kind of break it up into three types of markets, this is what we do, and uh, these three types are linear markets uh Mm -hmm. that are slow and steady and profitable they're the kind i like to invest in
0: right in the middle of the
2: country right yeah yeah Yeah. or the southeast too but yes well
0: that's changing
2: (laughs) i I agree with you yeah well that's actually one of my next points (laughs)
0: yeah and then
2: there are cyclical markets
0: Yeah. roller coaster yeah
2: these are the roller coasters right they're the west coast of the united states the expensive northeastern markets or where i live i live in palm beach florida and just south of me you've got miami right crazy cyclical markets okay um around the world the cyclical markets are Paris London Dubai Hong Kong right those types of markets these trophy cities are cyclical markets and they do not make sense as an investment the vast majority of the world is a linear market but there isn't in between as you just alluded to Jen and that is the hybrid markets Mm -hmm. and a lot of the Southeast because there's been so much interest from investors and retiring baby boomers have become
0: high And there's an influx of people from California. I mean, you would not believe the amount of people from California that I know
2: that are coming to Florida. Oh yeah. Yeah, Well, you know, I escaped the Socialist Republic of California 11 years ago, and it was one of the best decisions of my life.
0: (laughs) And that's basically what I'm hearing. I go, so why are you moving? Why are you moving? And I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. Yeah, no. And I and I think this is this is accurate. And I um, so I know I know I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, because I know what the answer is for me. Um, And you did did allude to this is that you prefer to work in linear markets. Yeah. linear
2: and hybrid. Now, a lot yeah. of markets have become hybrid. But but yes, generally, you're right. So here's an example. Like one of the pro- markets where we've helped hundreds and hundreds of investors buy properties over the years, Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. Okay, this is a renter market. It's the logistics capital of the country, Federal Express, you know, you all know the story of Memphis, yeah. right? I would not want to live in Memphis. But no. I've owned many properties there. And many of our clients have. And it's Very linear. If you look at appreciation over time, it just kind of chugs along. Nothing too exciting. Ups, downs, but they're not pronounced. Indianapolis, another big market for us over the years, Um, helped hundreds and hundreds of investors buy properties here. Very linear and boring. But compare that to where I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. OK, and that's the way the chart looks. It's yeah, a you should see chart.
0: It looks like a crazy heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're not listening, you want to or if you're not watching, you want to go in and do it. And what I love, I just want to share what I love is that you're using Fred for your yep. statistical data. And we've talked about this on this podcast. I don't know how many times we talk it with. I talk about this with my clients, uh, you know, and I love that that Fred has an app now so you can get your data right off your phone instantly. Right. And I love that uh, because what you were showing in that chart as well was all of the recessions yeah. that were in there as well. And yeah. so I was looking at those recessions in the linear and Memphis had a little tick down in uh, the last recession, sure. which they didn't have in previous, but then they you know, recovered right away. And so knowing that inflation is here and we're talking about recession as well, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. What is your take on what's happening, um, whether we're going to experience a recession or not? Because one of the things that we know is that recessions are great for mortgage rates. They always go down.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think the Fed is still on the rate hike kick. You would yes, know better are. than I would. One uh, more. Because you're one you know, closer more. to it than I am. Yeah. yeah one more. And, and maybe one more and then we will see them relax a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, seems to think he's the new Paul Volcker or something. I don't know. You <laughs> yeah. know, I, I'm highly critical of the Fed. They completely yeah. screwed this up. They let the yeah. economy run way too, way hot too long, for way too long. They should have raised rates slower and sooner. And more gradually. Right. And and that would have been a much better plan, but we have what we have. So, you know, that's what we have. Um, There's two more main points I think we should really discuss today. One is inventory levels. And then let's look at the Hartman comparison index. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And inventory levels. I know where you're heading this because this is to debunk the crash in the bubble go for it yeah Yeah. um it it
2: does in some extent but you know I do want to make a point though on that linear cyclical and hybrid we just discussed look I think for sure the cyclical markets are going to suffer pretty greatly Mm -hmm. okay because they have had meteoric rises and the you know the the higher they rise the harder they fall as the old saying goes yeah so those markets do have some real pain ahead the linear markets For, you know, basic rental housing uh, inventory, there is still a massive shortage and um, a lot of demand, okay? And the demographics coming at the rental housing industry for the next 10 years are nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, they are just phenomenal.
0: So we started
2: out- Let me me,
0: um, just kind of interject here about this too, just to make sure everybody understands is that, you know, as an investor, and at least I'm going to say from my perspective, as an investor, I seek either- Income or appreciation, and if I get both, yay! Yeah, right, <laughs> <laughs> right. And what you're talking about, especially in these linear areas, is that yeah, the values of their homes don't go up exponentially like they do in others. But that is a good tell, you know, telltale if the housing market for rental is powerful. Otherwise, yeah. you don't want to invest at all.
2: Jen, uh, you you nailed it. You know, look, investing is the strategy of creating legitimate value over time it's not speculation uh, appreciation is not investing okay yeah. um, capital gains is not investing that's luck and when yeah. it happens great I'll take it I can spend the money just as well as the next person but <laughs> yeah. yield is investing Okay, you invest for yield right and that's what a good portfolio produces is annual yield, so we started out the year with about 293,000 homes very low inventory, and then as we went into the year. inventory actually continued to decline at the end of the first quarter we were at about 41,000 homes for Mm -hmm. sale now one of the things I. uh, Uh, talk about a lot on my show is what my listeners have dubbed the Jason Hartman question. Clearly, I did not invent the question. (laughs) But the question is, I think it's life's most important question. And the question is, compared to what? Yeah. Right. So compared to historic inventory levels, extremely low. Most experts will say, and by the way, I do want to make a point here that's important. It depends which survey you're looking at. The data I'm sharing is from Altos. If you look at the NAR numbers, they calculate inventory differently because they include pending sales and contingent sales. I do not think that's the right way to do it. I think you should only calculate what's available today that someone can buy today. Right. So, uh, so, But you can use either one as long as you're consistent. Mm-hmm. If you use NAR, look at NAR five years ago compared to today, fine. That's fine, okay? So um, in terms of this inventory, Uh, To be at a normal market, we should have somewhere between 1 million and 1.5 million homes for sale now invent so so what we've had is this story. Right walk into a supermarket and 66 to 80% of the shelves are bare they have nothing on them that's how inventory has been, but it is growing Uh, these higher interest rates have definitely cooled the market and Mm -hmm. here's where we are now. We've got about 544,000 homes for sale, Uh, still only about half or even one third, depending on who your expert is that you're asking, of normal. So inventory is still extremely low. It's extremely low. And in order for you to have a housing crash, you have to have high inventory and or inventory that is increasing very, very quickly. We do not have that. You also have to have a distressed homeowner. And Jen, you know better than I do being in the mortgage uh, industry so closely um, that the underwriting criteria since the Great Recession has been insanely burdensome. The loans that have been made are not like the loans that were made in the early 2000s right. we have some of the highest credit score borrowers now we have carefully underwritten loans for the most part i know there's some exceptions um but we just don't have distressed homeowners right at least and, not yet
0: even during the pandemic we didn't have um a, you know a substantial increase at all in delinquencies which is which is really good and i know a lot of investors are saying oh the foreclosures are coming if they're coming, it's going to be because of jobs at some point. And, um, you know, now we also know that we have an increase in repossessions. I wouldn't even say repossessions because I don't know if we're there yet, but in delinquencies, 17% increase in delinquencies in car loans. But that's indicative of all car owners who include renters who ha- were, not be- were not or cannot still buy. Right you yeah. know, so we're seeing in some segments, you know, so if we just take that, like, I love that you're saying that, you know, compared to what I used to, I used to say, so what? N- n- and next and next and next. But when you compare, you know, if you just said, oh, all," you know, all the car delinquencies are up. So that means the whole world is crashing. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is. You know, um, this time around the, uh, economic problems, And the recession that I would argue we're sort of in. This is a very weird one this time. They always have a different flavor, right? Um, But um, you know, it's not going to come from real estate this time. It did last time. A lot of it came from real estate, as we know. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, uh, so many people out there are complaining that interest rates are too high, (laughs) but they're not asking the right question. They need to ask the question compared Compared to what? what? Okay. And there are very few times in history very few times the interest rates since the 1940s at least have been lower than the official rate of inflation yeah and we have that now and we've had it for quite a while Mm -hmm. so the government is telling us inflation is 9.1 percent I don't have to go with my 15 to 17 percent estimate yeah mortgage rates give or take six percent even lower for owner occupied that means you have a negative interest rate where you're literally being paid to borrow the money
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: of 3.1%. Right, I know. Now imagine, Jen, if you don't even pay the mortgage yourself, you outsource that obligation to somebody called a tenant. Yeah. It, it's incredible. That's why income property is the most historically proven asset class in the entire I, world. I
0: love this yeah. explanation. Yeah. I really do. I love this expl- explanation. I was, um, I shared a, I have a, Uh, rate sheet from from, uh, when I was a loan officer for April 1st, 1985. (laughs) I was so excited. First of all, it cost me $500 to have made because we didn't have computers right <laughs> right and made we, it on rates were changing machine. every day I mean they were still yeah. changing but it wasn't you know we really didn't have our mortgage- backed security right. market like we have now and you know we um and it was funny because it was the first time that we had a rate that was under 10 percent yeah and I was so excited because when I got in the business rates were 18 and a half
1: sure.
0: uh, rates were under 10 percent but the rate that was under 10 percent was nine and seven eighths on a one-year arm with three points. Yeah. And but to be
2: fair, houses were a lot less expensive too. Of course so, they were, but yeah. it's
0: all relative to right. income now too. Sure. Yeah. Right. So it's all relative. And that, and that's one thing that we have to understand is that, you know, it's still relative. You know, when you say compared to what we also yeah. had lower income than we of have course. now. Yeah. And um, so I think that that's important for people to understand, you know, is that six uh, percent, five, five and a half is great. And the expectation is that rates are going to drop by the end of the year um, a little bit, not a whole bunch, but a little bit at the end yeah. of the year. So we have one more adjustment by the feds and then we'll have a drop, you know, in interest rates and we'll start seeing things calm back down a, a little bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hopefully they will tame inflation by that time. And, yeah. And yeah. we can move on. So so yeah. the inflation induced debt destruction strategy, mm-hmm. a hugely <clears throat> hugely powerful for people but let's talk about the index before we wrap up real quick because you did ask about it and i've kept everybody waiting for quite a while (laughs) when you want to understand how valuable anything is in the world you've got to compare it to a lot of things you have to use a lot of measuring sticks rather than just one yeah everybody's using just one the us dollar and that is that leading to huge blind spots where people just Can make giant mistakes by only using one thing to compare Mm. uh, real estate values to. So, compared to what is the question, we use the index to determine uh, this. And here is the first item in the index it's gold, right? I'm not a gold bug. You probably aren't either, but gold has been considered money.
0: Yeah.
2: Gold's been considered money for thousands of years, and it is a good measuring stick. Now, we went off the gold standard in 1971, so I'm not going to go back to 1970 because gold prices were basically controlled before then. But once we let gold float a little bit into the second quarter of 1972, gold was $65 an ounce. Mm -hmm. The median house price was about $27,000. So in 1972, 50 years ago, if you wanted to buy the median price house in gold, You'd it need. would take 412 ounces of gold. Mm-hmm. Today, the median house price is almost $400,000. It depends if you're counting new homes, I, I, right. it's complicated, it right. depends on what survey. I'm using one that says it's about 360,000, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, the price of gold, 1944, at the time I grabbed this, That means it's only 184 ounces of gold to buy the median price house. So the question is, priced in gold, is a house cheap or expensive? It's cheap. It's cheaper. But that's just gold. gold. What about oil? How about if we take oil, arguably one of the most important commodities in the entire world Mm -hmm. is oil. Uh, And in 1970, oil was $4 a barrel. The median house price was $23,000. If you wanted to buy the median price house, in oil, it would take 6,400 barrels, not gallons, barrels of oil, right? Today, it only takes about 3,300 barrels of oil to buy the median price house. So priced in oil, is it cheap or expensive? It's cheap. But yeah. during that time, in the last 52 years, it has gone up and down. So it's not the cheapest it's ever been now. Right. It was cheaper 12 years ago in 2010 it only took about 1900 barrels of oil to buy a house in 1980 only about 1700 barrels so priced in oil it's very cheap historically it's not the cheapest it's ever been though it's been cheaper okay what if we look at rice rice is the food commodity of two-thirds of the human race yeah it is an incredibly important base food that keeps people alive well priced in rice in 1970, it would take 43,000 hundred weight units of rice to buy a house. Today, it only takes about 22,000 of those. So, priced in rice, housing is also cheap. Yeah. Right. And I can go on and on to the over 40 items in the index mm-hmm. and show you that housing is much cheaper than most people think. Yeah. Okay. But, we know it's not about the price of the house it's about the payment on the house yes so what about the yeah. payment okay yeah. well there's some stuff in here about the inventory shortage well actually this one's good for and you like the Fred website I so love this that. is this is the mortgage uh, burden on yeah. the typical household gen okay for uh dating back to about 2015 right? Mortgage right. debt service payments as a percentage of disposable income. And you can see they were at their lowest point at the first quarter of 2021. Why? With low interest rates, rates low. low housing prices, yeah. lockdowns, yep. okay? Today, it's a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. But when you undo this entire chart and look back, it's still very, very cheap compared to the last seven years. Yeah. But what if we go back even further than that? let's go back to 1984 okay yeah <laughs> in 1984 it's almost the cheapest it's ever been yeah. in yeah. terms of the mortgage payment every month and in the index I calculate it out like this I look at the median yeah. mortgage payment back in 1970 1980 1990 etc and I compare it to today if you adjust it for a consumer price inflation, according to the faulty CPI we talked about, the mortgage payment today is about double what it was in 1970, adjusted for official inflation rates. Right, in dollars, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but you're probably a fan, and I had this guy on my show, the founder of shadowstats.com, because what that website does is it calculates inflation the way the government used to calculate it when they didn't manipulate it. And guess what the mortgage payment is calculated the old way. This is not some person's way. It's the government's way before they started manipulating around 1980. And the mortgage payment on the median price house today is only $76 a month compared to 1972's $127. Yeah. So is
0: it that's why is it that's what I was saying before compared to, you know, my interest rate of 18% versus, right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you got in around 1980. Okay. I so got in 83. 83. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's when they started really manipulating because we had that high inflation of the late 70s, right? Oh,
0: yeah. The SNL bailout. Yeah. 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 We yeah. That.
2: Well, that came a little later. That was Charles Keating and all of that. Lincoln Well, it was
0: already was- fermenting because it yeah. was a result of Jimmy Carter and high, yeah. high inflation. And, you know, uh, Reagan came in and, and yeah. raised everything.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Reagan yeah. was a godsend for the economy. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> You know, very stuff.
0: expensive and very difficult at the time, but it was needed.
2: It was needed. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yes. So, you know, you can see how this is compared and you can see where nothing changed here because there was no manipulation. CPI yeah. and yeah. shadow stats are the same, but then it starts to diverge mm-hmm. by 1990, mm-hmm. 2000. It diverges a lot. And there you go. So yeah. it's really just not that expensive like people think it is. One more adjustment I'll give you, actually, just one more thing I'll I'll share on this, Jen, because I think it's really important. The house is not the same house. Houses have gotten bigger. We're comparing apples to oranges. The typical house in 1970 was 1,500 square feet, Today (laughs) it's almost 2,400 square feet. So
0: you're getting a good
2: deal. (laughs) It's increased in size by 157 (laughs) percent. So when you adjust for square footage, inflation, and interest rates. Real estate is quite a bit cheaper than most people think.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's amazing that we have to try to convince people, you know, that uh, they should buy right now, you know, especially when we have loan officers and real estate agents saying, you know, well, rates are coming down and we have clients saying, well, then I'll just wait. Sounds like yeah. the bank, right? I'll just wait. And they're missing out on so many opportunities, you know, for pride of home ownership, for tax benefits, for appreciation, you know, maybe income if they're doing it as an investor. Uh, they're missing out on all of those opportunities right now. And as you say, refi till you die, then go ahead and refinance if you think you're going to have more equity later on or, you know, and and that would be a pleasant surprise. You know, if someone had more equity six months from now instead of not buying, and we call that waiting to buy you know, the cost of waiting. And we should be sharing that comparison with as many people as we possibly can. You're
2: absolutely right. We illustrated earlier the cost of waiting
0: is inflation
2: attacking your savings, right? If you put it to work, then inflation starts working for you rather than against you. So that's very, very important what you pointed out. And look, what I always say is, don't believe anything I've told you today. Just go look out the window open your door walk outside and note that the market in good sensible markets that aren't those cyclical markets it is booming people are buying inventory left and right there's a massive shortage there's not enough houses every but every good deal is being snapped up like crazy okay and that's the way it has been over the years i mean if houses are so expensive people thought that always they always thought that they thought that in then why are they they thought it in 2000 they thought <laughs> right. it in 1990 yet yeah. people were still buying them all along okay mm-hmm. yes there were little periods of adjustment but overall housing is cheap
0: yeah yeah housing is a great is a great way well i love it thank you so much i love everything that you're talking about jason it's so in line with what i speak about all the time what my clients hear what i, I know other experts are saying as well And if we could just stop listening to the news and stop listening to, honestly, people that are listening here, and if you're a manager, I'm sorry about this but if you're listening to your manager and your manager saying you know it's bad it's bad and you need to get back out there and kick butt and you know try to figure out how to be competitive it's it's really about demonstrating this and this is where your expertise will start to improve this is where you will be looked at as that market influencer and your credibility will be there and you will always have a great, practice, regardless of whether you're a realtor or lender, you will always have a great practice. And for those investors that are listening, I hope you learned a lot from this. So tell us a little bit, Jason, about how we can get in touch with you. What is the best way to get in touch with you? And I know that you've got um, a community, right? We talked about your community earlier, um, the community of Empowered Investor Pro. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that if people want to get engaged with you.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great way to engage. That's our uh, our paid membership. It's at empoweredinvestor.com where people can meet with me a couple of times a month on Zoom. And, you know, we, we bring in all sorts of experts. We have a community, a social networking platform, kind of like Facebook, but not Facebook. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and where people can get questions answered. And, uh, you know, our team is in there helping people. We have ongoing Zoom meetings, discounts to our live conferences. Uh, and then, um, uh, but you know, they can just go to the main website, jasonhartman.com, follow me on YouTube, podcast, uh, whatever, just look up Jason Hartman, and you'll find me.
0: I love it. I love it. I cannot wait to uh, participate and be part of this. I'm in another buyer's club as well called Flipping America,
1: uh-huh. <laughs> uh,
0: but we're not flipping homes. No, we're not. We're not flipping them. It's, it's just called flipping America because we, we do okay. something a little different. We buy we buy the property in that with cash and then we uh, we uh, flip it into a land contract. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll just call it a lot of investors do that too. Flipping, We'll we'll call it that
0: kind of flipping. And that's the kind of flipping that I've been doing lately. You know, my buy and holds have been lately is not wanting to be the, the landlord, right? I have landlord situations, but then I have others that, that I'm flipping them that way. So are you mostly doing
2: that in Michigan? I know Michigan's very land. Oh my gosh.
0: Michigan is huge for that. And I have family in Michigan (laughs) who are investors. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But I've actually been doing that in Tennessee and I've been doing that in Indiana um, oh. or il- Illinois, sorry, Illinois, yeah. because the property that I, r- I bought recently was in Thayer, Illinois. I bought it for, it was a two one for $9,400. And um, we, ha- we have um, our nurse. She's a nurse. We have her on an eight year note at, um, I think it's 8%. I can't remember that one might be at eight, might be at 10%, something like that, an eight year note at 10%. We're making like $584 a month in cash flow. You know, I break even 18 months on the whole buy. Yep. I've done a bunch of those. The ROI is like 30 some percent. Yeah, it's pretty killer. It's great. And I love it because, you know, she doesn't call me about the problems. She owns it, <laughs> not me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's so good to see you. I hope to see you on the next Marketers Cruise, though. I think it's in uh, January is when it is. Um, I went to the one in November Um, or no, no, no. It was earlier this year. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was November. It was in November last year. And then they said, you know, hey, we're going to start, you know, we're going to go a whole year. But but anyway, yeah, it's the end of January and it looks to be really good. So I hope, to see, I hope to yeah. see you there, but I thank you so much for all of this beautiful, wonderful wisdom. Is there anything you would like to leave uh, our listeners with? You know,
2: just uh, the old saying, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and then wait. And uh, happy investing to everybody. Uh, you can dive into a lot more detail on all this stuff on my YouTube channel or podcast. So thank you and happy investing.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And everyone again, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if you've not subscribed and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to click on the links below for our upcoming events so that you can get more involved and learn even more about what you're doing in your practice, as well as investing and all of the other businesses that are peripheral to what we do as professional mortgage loan officers. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our mortgage lending mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips and insider secrets, fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet